Hi, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi, Jinx, with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, my guest is Peppermint. Uh, you may know her from RuPaul's Drag Race. You may know her from Pose. Or maybe you know her from originating a brand new role in a brand new musical called Head Over Heels when she played on Broadway as one of the first trans actors to take the Broadway stage. She is iconic. She is the moment. And she is a dear friend and sister of mine. You'll get to hear all about her crazy New York life and her upcoming tour that is candid, honest, some laughs, some tears. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but I'm trying to sell it, baby, because... <laughs> oh, I've got the COVID crazies. <laughs> she is iconic. She is the moment, and she is a dear friend and sister of mine, and we're going to talk all about her successes and her crazy New York life, as well as her upcoming tour and where you can see it, all today on Hi Jinx. So buckle up, hunker down, sink your teeth into some brand new Hi Jinx, and don't forget to buckle up and, and, and um, wear a seatbelt. <laughs> Buckle up and wear a seatbelt. That's redundant. Whatever. Hi, Jinx! <laughs> M. Oh. M. Mom! Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by actress, singer, drag queen, and activist, Peppermint. Hi Peppermint! Hi, Jinx. Peppermint, you are famous in this household. Um, Monsoon Manor plays, uh, we play a video of you and Bob just cracking each other up. It's like a compilation of the two of you just sending each other. Um, we play it probably about twice a day. <laughs> um its hits include uh, uh, you and Bob playing video games <laughs> and you screaming while you are being obliterated in Super Smash Brothers. But then also um, one of the best moments is um, Bob's partner, Jacob, explaining the rules of the game to the two of you. <laughs> and at one point, um, right. Jacob says, <laughs> You know the part we're talking about. <laughs> it's everyone needs to go watch that video. It's probably one of the best things on the internet. Peppermint, how are you just so effortlessly um captivating? What's the secret sauce to <laughs> Girl, I feel like I'm 
not even internationally tolerated, just nationally <laughs> tolerated. Uh, I, but I do, you know, regardless of where I am, whether it's something during the day, something that's related to politics or something that's, um, you know, something that's drag related specifically mm. at night. I'm, uh, I'm always down for a good old laugh and a good old time, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes it's not even, uh, I, I just, you and Bob can send each other from zero to 60 immediately. How long have you known Bob? It's true. I met Bob when I was uh, hosting in New York at a club, a weekly show, a re- weekly drag show. And Bob came through as a contestant. Um, it was a drag competition. And Bob came through <laughs> under an, a different pseudonym at the time. Um, and, uh, I don't remember how, how, how she did at the, at the show to be on. Oh, actually, you know, I remember I was really impressed because she did, uh, from Aida, the Disney musical, Broadway musical, My Strongest Suit. And, uh, in this mm-hmm. show, as you know, uh, the princess changes clothes and it's like a big fashion moment. And so Bob was like, had like, I don't know, 10 costumes and had one of those magicians or whatever magicians like, clothes clothing changing rings it's like a hula hoop with some fat it yeah, looks like yeah, a hula yeah. hoop with fabric attached and she would like lift it up and drop it down and she was a different outfit um and i was just like oh my gosh uh that was probably 2000 and must have been 2000 and like 8 9 10 11 something <laughs> like that <laughs> And have you have you had the kind of friendship um, you have now? Was it like, was it immediate? Was it one of those moments where you just see someone and you're like, oh, you've been, I've been waiting my whole life to meet you. No, you worked on it over time. Was it post-drag race? <laughs> it was definitely post-drag race. I mean, that was something, that was one of the two things that neither of us had obviously done when we first met. And then when we, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, once Bob did it in 2014, 15, whatever that, um, she was obviously on the road. So like, there was no way for us to connect yeah. after, like right after she had done drag race while she was like raining and, and touring and all that. And it wasn't until I got on drag race, obviously a season later, and she was, um, really involved with some of the stuff like promotionally for our season while she was like handing uh-huh. off the crown and she was at our finale, you know, and all of that stuff. And so that's when we really had the chance to, to like, like at least calibrate. And then uh-huh. it wasn't until we went on tour, you know, the tour is where tour, we really get to know tour each other. Bonds right, girl? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long since you and I have been on tour together. Lord, I know. It feels like it, it's so funny because you know those tours. Yes, they bond us. Yes, they are. Um, they're these amazing experiences, but they're also extremely hard work. And um, you know, you barely spend each. You, you barely spend a day in each city. Um, but I can remember them like they were yesterday. And also, I. F- Full well know it was like six or seven years ago at this point. <laughs> um, it's it's really amazing how um, you know just just having both been on Drag Race that 
that kind of just like bonds us immediately. It's like I'll meet girls. Like I met Utica for the first time recently, like in the holiday season. She came to see the show and afterwards it was like I was excited to meet her because I was watching her on TV. She was excited to meet Dela and I because we're old relics. And <laughs> and then it was also like we knew each other already. You know, like every time I meet one of the new girls, it's like they're simultaneously this fresh face and then also it feels like, oh, I've known you forever because we've been through this similar experience. Um oh, What's it feel? Season nine. How's it feel? Oh, let's see. We're at there. We we just finished season 14. So it's been about five years. How's it feel? How do you feel? <laughs> do you... I feel like a, one of those old relics. You know, <laughs> I remember when, just after I taped and there's always that the, the weird, the, the, the interesting thing about that, I think is the, that moment of time, that margin between when when a season finishes taping. And so mm-hmm. now all the girls, especially the girls who are in the show, know who was just on the season, but it's not announced and it obviously isn't airing yet. And so that time in between that, whatever that time is for some people, it's a, a, almost six months to a year for depending on yeah. who it is, obviously. Um, and I... Uh, was doing my show, you know, got back to town and went back to just doing my normal drag gigs in the, in the shows. And, um, <laughs> and Sharon was one of the first girls to come to my show post me doing drag race. Mm-hmm. And so, and she was like, welcome to the sister. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, she's either blessing me or putting a curse on me. <laughs> one of the things I remember about that tour, probably that one of those stops on the tour was how we mm-hmm. got all of those really nice mirrors from um, Ricky, whatever that company is, remember? Oh and yeah, yeah, yeah. They got us. They they delivered the mirrors to us in the UK for us to use, but we couldn't take them, and we really <laughs> wanted to keep them. I know I wanted to keep those things. Do you remember like mirrors and lights? They had this whole like setup at one of the stops in the UK for us, which was yeah. like all these mirrors, like makeup mirrors, and I was just so happy, but I was so pissed because, because I guess they were just for the. Yeah, for the one for the tour stop. or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for the one stop. Or, uh, yeah. No fun. Um, I can't remember. Was that the same? Was that the same tour where I almost got left in Paris because I overslept? <laughs> were you in that? I don't, were you no, on I don't that think tour? so. Because the only person who almost got left was the dancer, um, uh, Ricky, who, yeah. who left his... Um, his passport. I don't know where we were. <laughs> just, just somewhere. Just on a table in a pizza place. Um, tour life is ridiculous. Peppermint. You, um, there's so many things we could talk about, but there's something I, I'm going to, I'm going to go this direction because this is so exciting for me. And I think it's just terribly amazing that you originated a role in a new musical on Broadway 
And not only that, but, but were one of the first trans actors to um, perform on Broadway in a Broadway musical. Let's talk about it. The show was Head Over Heels. Um, head Over Heels, yes. Uh, for some reason, I wanted to say Heads Over Heels. No, it's Head Over Heels. <laughs> and you played the Oracle. Let's talk about this. <laughs> Tell us it how was, you yeah, landed was... the role, what was the process like in the show, and what kind of pressures was it to be one of the first trans actors on the Broadway stage? <laughs> Girl, it's the truth. I um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I uh, had heard about it because I was friends with somebody who was doing the role in the uh, Oregon Shakespeare Festival, Shakina mm-hmm. Nafak. Um, and so it was making its way through the the rounds, I guess. And I know that so many of our, so many of us auditioned for the show. Um, I think they had their eye. They definitely wanted somebody from Drag Race, I think, or at least a well-known drag person um, <laughs> um, to to do the show. And and so I auditioned for it in I don't even know. I initially sent in a tape, um, and it's when we were on tour. Sent in a tape, like I sent in a tape before we left for tour. And then we left for tour. And then I heard, got a call back and they were like, keep sending in. They just, it was just like a series of tapes. And I was like, oh my God. And of course, like the time zone was a, a terrible thing. And so after our shows, I would go to my room with Jerry, who was uh, an intern at PEG um, during the time. And we, we would read into the camera uh, with no sleep. And then I would email the, the video out off to them. And then by the next like couple of days, they would get it. And then they were like, okay, do this and do that. And so I had like two or three callbacks. Um, and then finally they were like, we really like you for the part. Um, and there's just one more thing. <laughs> and I was like, what is the one more thing? Um and I, we were on tour, which, you know, I keep, I keep mentioning the tour is like, it's good money. Yeah. <laughs> and so they were like, we want you to come in tomorrow to, for the final callback. Um, it's, and it was, it was coincidentally, the, the callback was on a Sunday morning and we were doing our last show in England somewhere on a, on a Saturday night. And then our next show was in New York on a Sunday after evening. And so I was like, well, why can't they just, I can't just come do my show and then come to New York as planned and just do it on Monday or after the show or whatever. They're like, no, and the only way this is going to work on Sunday morning is for you to fly back Saturday night. Don't do the show that, that Saturday night show. Don't do the show, fly back right away and do the audition, the final callback. Um, and I was so angry and so heartbroken. And I like was whisked away from the tour in the in the uh, in the dead of night, not <laughs> able to say goodbye to any of my sisters. And I was like, this feels really shady. Um, and and so then I f- flew back and and I met you all that night back in New York at the Christmas tour, just to go, just because I was like, I was basically still emotionally attached. 
to the tour. Um, but I went to do the show. I went to do the audition and I, I heard another somebody singing because uh, we obviously had to sing all this go-go's mm-hmm. music because that's the music of the show. And uh, somebody was singing, um, a, like screaming mm-hmm. one of the songs right before me in the audition room. And I was like, girl, this girl got the show. I was like, if I come back all the way back here just for them to be like, oh, never mind. I'm going to be so <laughs> mad. Um, and it turns out that that girl was Taylor Iman Jones, who eventually ended up playing my daughter in the show <laughs> and is now starring on Broadway in um, in The Devil Wears Prada. So, yeah, that was it, what it was like. Wow. But it was a lot of pressure to do to do the show because it was such an historic moment. And the show is very queer um, mm-hmm. and and the role is obviously very queer. And I did feel a lot of pressure, you know, because I wanted to make sure the representation was was right. And, and there was also some things to be done in the show, like a couple of lines to be tweaked and a couple of mm-hmm. things to be to take a look at, because we were <laughs> we were in this kind of landscape that was I know everybody remembers 2020 as a very specific political kind of landscape. And we and we were having all these conversations and everything. But the the tone of everything was was le- was leading up to that like everything in 2018 2019 was leading towards that and so i do remember um feeling some pressure yeah well thank god i mean thank god they cast someone from the community you know and um because when I feel like lots of times writers, directors, producers, creators who um, have the best of intentions, you know, sometimes uh, best of intentions doesn't take you the whole way. You know, um, they they mm-hmm. they know what story they want to tell. They know what experiences they want to highlight. But as an outsider, you know, you're only going to know so much. (laughs) So that's why I think it's so important if you want to tell certain stories, if you want to if you want to participate in um, representation and uh, uplifting, you've got to include people from the communities that you're venturing to represent you know (laughs) there's just too often it's like um people want to tell these stories but then think they they've got it all on their own you know and then don't bring in people (laughs) and this is i mean this is uh uh, ethnic minorities uh this is uh, as sexual minorities gender minorities and also drag queens do you ever feel like like a lot of the roles you get called in for as a drag queen um, are clearly written by outsiders. And it's like, if you just asked a drag queen what she (laughs) thought about this, she'd fucking give her a red pen and have her mark this script up for five minutes because this is going to look stupid as fuck. If you have me read this line. (laughs) I mean, pretty much every single time, whether it's um, a big show or some, uh, something for TV or even like something that's digital, like for a web video or so, even mm-hmm. for social media, whenever they, the client <laughs> writes the, 
the script, it's like, oh, Lord. It's just, I don't think there's ever been a time where I've been like, oh, wow, you really got it. This is great. Let me just say it. That has never happened in the hundreds of things I've read or whatever. It's never done. And so, yeah, you're 100% right. I'm, the biggest one for me was that we had to go through this huge rigmarole of, of five or six auditions when I was auditioning for a scene for not a scene for a role um a few scenes in ugly betty um mm-hmm. to play uh wilhelmina's vanessa williams's character uh um brother slash drag queen like drag queen who was like uh-huh. her, her sibling and this was pre-medical transition for me yeah. um and and so you know they're like we want to get a drag we wanted to be authentic we wanted to be this and this and that so I went through all these auditions and it was lovely and everything was great and they seemed to love it and and they were like we were not sure it's between you and another person and and so then I ended up not getting it and instead they put me in um they had me as an extra in a couple of scenes which I was like fine I'll settle for that but I, it wasn't until the drag entertainer came out and did all this stuff. And I swear had all of these peppermintisms that I was like, I think they were just like capturing me in all these different situations on tape. And then they just gave it to this person who clearly was just like imitating some of this stuff that the, some of the choices that I had made, they were just like copying that. And what's, what's worse, not worse, but what was interesting is that they didn't choose a drag entertainer at all. They chose Vanessa Williams' actual brother to play the role and then just had him do a bunch of stuff that I did in the thing. And I was like, well, what, what is going on here? That <laughs> is shady. That's you so think, shady. I mean, if they put her brother, then they must have had an idea. <laughs> that sounds like a, yeah. Oh, there's too much going on there. Well, first of all, I am sorry that happened to you, Peppermint. Um, second of all, what an amazing story. <laughs> and third of all, that is, a, you know, that is, and I hate complaining openly about certain things because it's like, you know, um, we we have such a blessed experience as Rue girls, as 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 people who have such a large platform and such a far reach, and yet there is still so much fucked up in this industry. You know, there is still there's still constantly drag roles written for for a drag queen to play, and then they call in 80-plus drag queens to read for it, and then at the end of the day, it goes to some pretty white cis gay boy, you know, who's never done drag a day in their life. And as someone who's committed half my life to drag, it always really frustrates me when that happens, because... It's like you can't learn drag in a day. And it's so funny that because drag is so much about artifice and costumery and presentation, blah, 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 blah. It's like we're having this conversation about, you know, you can't cast a, like, maybe we're done casting non-trans people to play trans roles because they don't have access to that experience. And, and, you know, Mm -hmm. we're really like pushing back at the idea of casting non-trans actors to play trans roles and tell trans stories. And thank God we're getting to that place. But with drag queens, it still feels kind of like, um, oh yeah, just like. Uh, Anybody (laughs) who will say it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
put him in the makeup Size chair and he's a drag queen in two hours. You know, it's like, and, and granted, you know, the trans experience, the drag experience, extremely different, you know, like you can't compare the two, but still, you know, they are both lifestyles. They're not just, you know, it's not just one facet of who you are. I think anyone right. who, who you know as a drag performer will tell you this encapsulates, this encompasses all of who I am, even though it might mm-hmm. be what I do for work or it might be what I do as a passion or an interest, it still encapsulates all all you are. So I hope we are nearing the point where we're done just casting pretty gay boys as drag queens like it's so damn easy. You know? I know. <laughs> like it's only hair and lipstick and a dress and heels. Like that's all they think it is. It is also, it's it's insulting on two fronts because it feels like, yeah, taking taking our experiences and our stories and just being like, ooh, that's fun to just kind of like throw a dash in here. Um, but then it also feels like, what, you don't trust? Uh, like, ha- have drag queens not shown you that we are talented actors? Is that not what we do every episode of Drag Race? Like, ha- ha- have there not been enough drag queens who say, I'm a professionally trained actor. I went to college for this. You know, like... Um, and then it, it feels like they think that, like, oh, well, as a drag queen, you know, we can't really trust the drag queen with this actual acting role. For some we've wild gotta, animal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we've got we've to get um, this, this twink up-and-comer to, to, to put on drag for the first time because they're going to bring something. Well, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's just frustrating. It feels like an insult to our abilities. Um, and yeah. so this all was just a huge way of saying... <laughs> Congratulations on that role in Head Over Heels because I did go for that role. I often, you know, when it comes to like a role on Broadway, like that's something I am um, wanting to do so much. Um, And it's one of the, like, I, I, you know, we all don't get plenty of roles. Um, But anytime it's a Broadway role, I I especially am like, God damn it, I wanted that role. When you got that role, I was like, thank God. You know, there was not an ounce of jealousy. There was not an ounce of envy. And that's saying a lot for me. I'm very competitive. But there was not an ounce of envy or jealousy because I was so grateful that it was going to go to someone who had so many experiences to draw from and um, not just, you know, not just some pretty white cis gay boy. (laughs) You know, playing the role like, doop to do, this is easy. I'm going to put on some hair and lips, and now I have a lifetime of experience to draw from. Well, thank you, girl. Yeah, I was I was really grateful to, to do it. Um, and what's really interesting now is that, you know, just the story being so queer um, as it is the script and everything, because there's obviously this role that they wanted someone they they were seeking somebody of trans experience, but they but they wanted someone who's obviously skilled at drag to do the mm-hmm. the the piece. Um, but there, there's so many so many other pieces to the puzzle that are very queer centric and a part of the community and everything. That seeing it the show now because uh, it didn't tour after we closed 
which meant that the rights pretty much opened up immediately for schools and community groups to do the show. And so now there's all of these young folks in community theater doing this very queer material, you know, Mm -hmm. which I love. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's it's kind of like a... I feel like it's also very different. You know, that whole tirade I went on, it's very different when it's like, um, when it's um, Broadway versus community theater. Like, oh, I'm no. almost, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm this like, is for the, the yeah. <laughs> yeah, for community theater, I'm like, you all have fun. Everyone experiment with it. You know? It's kind Absolutely. of. <laughs> this is for the youngsters to find themselves. Exactly. Um, I, 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 different, different situations, but, um, it reminds me of Hedwig and the Angry Inch when that was one of the only unapologetically uh-huh. queer musicals in existence. You know, there was Rocky Horror, there was Hedwig, and I think that was and that's it. it. Yeah. And and I think Spring way, Awakening yeah. like it, like came quickly after, but it was. Um, um, I did a piece from Hedwig for a theater competition in high school, and I remember so many teachers and students coming up to me afterward and saying, um, what musical is that from? I've never seen anything or heard anything like that. And I was so happy to tell everyone about Hedwig and the Angry Inch because, you know, uh, there there just wasn't anything for us for a long time, you know, there were, it was all coded. It was all like innuendo. It was all like you had to, you were putting the, you were putting the play on its side by casting a queer person in a certain role because there just weren't like queer roles written for musical Hmm. theater, which blows my freaking mind because it's like, who do you think invented musical theater? Hello. <laughs> and I, well, I do think that Rent was pretty um, oh, was absolutely. significant in that I, way, of course. I don't know why I left Rent out of that list. <laughs> <laughs> I, I Maybe, um, it's funny, Rent is one of those shows I had to learn to love when we did it. And then once we were done doing it, I was like, just right back to, I'm going to, it just doesn't, <laughs> there's a blind spot in my brain to rent. I don't know why. I don't know it's if pretty it's pretty specific. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's because it's just, it's just so sad. And when you get into it, when you get pulled into the story, it just breaks you. Or if it's just that like um, pop musical rock uh, doesn't necessarily stroke my <laughs> stroke my fancy, <laughs> but um. Anyway, I keep thinking about all the people who are going to be pissed at me after this episode. All the cis, pretty cis white gay boys who are like, I think I did a great job, James, <laughs> of of telling your stories. <laughs> Peppermint, um, how long have you lived in New York? Do you still live in Girls, New York? I still live in New York, and I've been here since 1998. 98. So that's wow. 20. Mm, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I still have to count on my fingers. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, 98. That's, I mean, you know, 
that's that's a fair amount of time. Um, New York is it's a jungle, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I love it though. It's mm-hmm. I mean, it's expensive. It's crowded. It's dirty. Um, it's you know uh, stressful for sure because, and I think all of those things for the most part. I'd say those are things that other big cities that I've been to have in common. Mm-hmm. You know, like I haven't been to a big city that doesn't feel crowded in one way or another. Doesn't, yeah. Isn't like a bit of a hustle and bustle for something. And so I do think that, you know, it's New York, I guess maybe rightfully so as, as the largest, most crowded metropolitan city in the country gets, gets like 100% of the blame <laughs> of any, any of the hangs that people feel about any city anywhere um i i think that's fair but if that's fair then also the things that new york no you can't find anywhere else um and you know maybe that's not true but if we get the blame for all of the traffic on the east coast then we also get to take all the spoils um and and you know the city has a vibration like this city i think it has a lot to do with the people who are here the fact that there are so many people here certainly has something to do with it but there's a very palpable vibration that the city actually has it almost like it has its own personality it feels like this city is alive and i know that probably sounds like hyperbole or something but when i go to other places that i love to visit i don't I land and I'm like, okay, I'm in a place and I'll go to find some people. It's very different than this. The minute you like fly over the city, there's an, there's an energy. If having millions of people crammed into a tiny area creates any type of energy in any way, shape or form, then New York has it. It's, um, it's everything you're saying. You know, I, I've never lived in New York, but I've spent a handful of time there and, it's so accurate. It has a vibration. It has like a, it feels like a living organism, you know, um, like, like you're living on the back of a, of a turtle or something, <laughs> you know, like the yeah. city itself, <laughs> the city itself is, is a living organism as well. Um, I also just kind of love that, like, when they say it's the city that never sleeps, like literally it, it fucking does it like it'll be 4 a.m and you'll yeah. be like go to sleep uh, <laughs> and, it, and it won't um the last time i was there we were doing press week for all-star seven and i think um you know my, my husband michael was with me and i think it was 2 a.m and we were starving because we're, our sleep schedule was all fucked up coming back from the UK. And at like 2 a.m., I ventured out to get us food. Can't remember what I got, but it was like something you shouldn't be able to get at 2 a.m. It was like linguine or something. <laughs> and then I also picked up an I Heart New York shirt for him because the souvenir shop was just open at 2 a.m. And I thought... He's going to love this I Heart New York shirt. And we also were out of clean underwear, so I, like, picked us up some souvenir underwear to wear the next day. And it was just because, you know, New York, 2 a.m., you can get anything you need. (laughs) You know, I think that's that's one of the things that I definitely, like, immediately miss about when I'm traveling outside Mm -hmm. of New York. 
York is the fact that like, if I need something, if I forgot it, if I'm doing a show, you know, as performers and entertainers, like the time is so limited and you like when it's time to perform or get, do the thing, you just need what you need when you need it right away. Um, And that's just the way it is. That's the only way that we can like immediately be everything we are to all these people who are waiting for the show. And so, you know, that's I'm so grateful that like that's one of the things that New York has because where I'm from in Wilmington, Delaware, which is not far from Philadelphia, you know, whatever you need, you can get it until 5 p.m. Yeah. And 5 p.m., 501, you better not even try to, you're not getting food. Like you, you better already have food in your own household refrigerator because you're not getting it. <laughs> In your own household refrigerator. Uh, um, You also, you played um, Miss Euphoria on the show Pose. And Pose is such a monumental, groundbreaking, important show. Um, It is a Ryan Murphy venture and written by Lady J, who is a friend and goddess and icon. Um, Tell us a little bit about your experience. And a witch. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us a little bit about your experience on Pose and, and being able to be a part of that show, but also you know, um, being part of the community that that show is meant to serve. Um, tell us all about your experiences with that. <laughs> Sometimes I like pose was... these things, not so much as questions, <laughs> but I just say things and then say, now talk about it. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Yeah. You know, um, I was instantly a fan of the show. And one of the things that I, I really liked about it was, you know, the show is about, um, the New York City ballroom scene, which is very close related to the nightlife and even drag world in, in some senses, they all kind of intersect in a way. And uh, in the, that takes place in the late 80s, early 90s, around the time that Madonna's Vogue came out. And um, and it's, you know, the... the Wait, the, are you saying Madonna sh- didn't invent voguing? <laughs> <laughs> Newsflash. Um, <laughs> but what was, I think, the 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 elements of the story, and it kind of is, a lot of it was borrowed from some of the major storylines of the documentary Paris is Burning. If anybody's seen that, if you haven't, please go watch it. Um, and, you know, there's so many beautiful stories that really do, did inspire a lot of the big pop culture moments that we remember, obviously Madonna's Vogue being one of them, which was huge at the time. Um, And to do that show and film it in like Canada or even Los Angeles, being about New York, which is where um, this style of dance originated. And then also, you know, around the same time, about 10 years earlier, but like a few, you know, around the same time in the eighties, hip hop and rap music was really starting to become a major thing. We all can, nobody can deny the impact that hip hop and rap music have had in mainstream music and pop culture in general. That also originated out of the Bronx, New York. And so being able to capture all of those stories 
in New York, I think was a, was a nice gift to the culture and to the community Mm. and everything. Um, And so I was stoked to watch it as a fan. There were so many of my friends who were background and people extras and and day players on the show that I would be like, oh my gosh, there's so-and-so. Oh my gosh, that's exactly where we did such and such and Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) so-and-so. And then, so then this come the second season, uh, they, there was two roles. There was a few roles they were writing all at once. Um, And one of the roles was a sort of um, den mother in this uh, nightclub called the Hellfire Club, which I actually used to frequent. Um, (laughs) And it's closed down now. And uh, this story is about a bunch of prostitutes in the in the in the in the club. Uh, And I was ready to play a prostitute, but I auditioned and didn't get the role. And they were actually like, there's something else that we have in mind for you. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. Whatever. Okay. So then eventually they sent me that script, which was for a later episode. And I um, read it and uh, I sent in a tape. I auditioned for it. And they were like, we love it. You got it. You got the part. Um, And it was when I first moved to New York in 1998, I was going to acting school. But then at nights on the weekends, I was working at a nightclub called The Tunnel, which is the same place where um, Michael Alleg uh, worked when the infamous uh-huh. nightclub murders happened that inspired the book and the movie Party Monster. Um, yeah. And I was working with a lot of those people when I when I moved <laughs> to New York in 1998. Um, and, and so I was working at The Tunnel um, on 27th and 11th. And I was, at first I was a door girl and then eventually graduated from that and got, was allowed to go inside the building, um, and start doing drag shows. And, um, and so when they called me and told me I got the part, we want you to come down. There was a few different scenes that we were filming. Some of them were in the studio, but one outdoor scene, they're like, we want you to come down to the corner of 27th and 11th. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's where the tunnel used to be. So I went <laughs> down there and lo and behold, we were literally filming on the doorsteps of what used to be the tunnel nightclub. It closed down in 20 um, in 2001 or two, it closed down. And now it's like an office building or something, but it still looks the same. So we were filming there and the holding area where, which is where we were waiting when we weren't filming was actually inside of the tunnel nightclub, but no, it's now it's not a nightclub. Um, and so it was very sort of full circle for me. It, it, it is amazing. You New York girls, <laughs> Um, especially like you and Bianca, I would say, because you've lived in New York for so long. Um, I know she's, she's assimilated now and she's in Pump Springs, but she lived in New York for (laughs) what, 50, 60 years. Uh, (laughs) the two of you, the stories that you have just simply because of who you are and where you lived it's just, it's it's something that you don't get, I think, anywhere else in this country. L.A., maybe. L.A. people who have lived in L.A. for 20-something years have some stories, but nothing to rival New York. You New York girls are just, um, you're you're it's it's kind of magical it's kind of awe inspiring but you also sound like you've been through like like battle war <laughs> war <laughs> i just I, I i could just sit and listen to new york girls 
talk about fucking what they did for lunch on Sunday because y'all go through these experiences that I can't even fathom as a little Pacific Northwest <laughs> stoner witch over here. I do like two things a day and call it. <laughs> that is so... I think that's a lot has to do because because of what you what you were saying about like doing all these things the 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 vibe of new york especially like in the 90s and 2000s for sure we were all in a world getting ready to have like a huge technology boom where we could mm-hmm. be everywhere and have internet and be on cable tv and all these different things <laughs> that married with the fact that so many things were stationed here like MTV which you know not a lot of people watch these days but but it was obviously very pivotal in in changing the culture those offices still are here and we're here um so all their studios were here and then the world of fashion which is still in the United States the fashion capital I would say is New York um that's certainly you know I they, I know they have Los Angeles Fashion Week but you know it's a little different than what happens in New York <laughs> um, uh, and so when you're at the nightclub you are literally there with actors Broadway people fashion designers people in the industry you're just there when you're riding the subway, you're riding the subway with those same people. When you're in an elevator, you're just, you're all going to different places, but you end up sharing space. So, and a lot of, you know, the the moving around the city and navigating the city that we do is on foot. It's not yeah. in a car. And so you're with people in a way that you wouldn't if you were in another city. Yeah. Um, New York is definitely one of those places where, like, the impossible becomes possible. You know, like you're doing your you're doing your cabaret show at an underground um, uh, restaurant and bar, and then all of a sudden you look out into the audience, and there's Chelsea Clinton just singing along. <laughs> <to one ear. laughs> now, exactly. Precisely. <laughs> Peppermint, you have an upcoming a tour um, for your album, Moment of Weakness, Letters to My Lovers. And you'll be on tour through July. What could your audience expect from this tour? And um, what should we know about this upcoming album? Sex and drugs, what they can expect, <laughs> if that's what they're looking for. <laughs> no, are drugs handed um, out at the door, or is that like there's yes, certain yeah. um, drugs chairs? Drugs at the door, that... sex in the back. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Uh, so, yeah, I was in a relationship, uh, and it was the best relationship that I had had to the, up to that moment. And, you know, we broke up surprise, surprise. <laughs> and I was able to write a bunch of songs cause I was having, feeling my Adele and, and, and Taylor <laughs> Swift moment, if uh-huh. you will. And, um, and so I wrote all about it, you know, and I ended up with three EPs of work, um, several, 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 uh, songs and I've been releasing those over time on three albums, which is the beginning, the middle, and the end of the relationship. 
Um, and the whole project is called Letters to My Lovers. Uh, but Moment of Weakness just came out. Moment of Weakness, the title is the song and the title are basically about the first time you see your um, ex after you've broken up. <laughs> uh, is that going to be, you know, are you going to somewhere? Are you going to fight? What's going to happen? <laughs> now I don't go to San Francisco. <laughs> no! I avoid it, but I did have the opportunity to go back there. And I was like having a panic attack, having to, to ride the plane. I was like, I literally broke down in tears on the plane next to somebody. Um, and they were like, are you okay? And I was like, oh, I couldn't go back to San Francisco. What if I see him? What if I see him? You know, like all of that. Anyway, the tour is full of stories and laughs and a couple of tears and, and come check out the tour. I'm going to be on the East Coast and the West Coast. I'll be in Seattle. Um, I'll be in Portland. I'll be in Los Angeles. I'll be in uh, Chicago. L, um, Do you, uh, Atlanta. Here, let, me let me help you out here. I got the Philly. whole list right in front of me. You don't have okay. to remember. <laughs> you got enough on your mind. Um, July 4th, you'll be at the City Winery in Atlanta, Georgia. July 8th, you'll be in Oakland, California. July 10th, you'll be in LA. July 17th, you'll be in Portland. July 18th, you'll be in Seattle. July 21st, Philadelphia. 23rd, Boston. And 24th, Brooklyn. So that's, I always love ending a tour in my own neck of the woods. Like, cause then you have your last oh, yeah. stop and then you get to yeah. go home. Um, <laughs> you have your last stop and then you get to sleep in your own bed. Um, well, First of all, I'm so sad that your ex lives in San Francisco because what a city to not have uh, to feel like you can't go back to. <laughs> to um, avoid. <laughs> yeah. Second of all, yeah. I completely understand. Um, you know, I was born and raised in Portland, yeah. and now I live here again after like um, 14 years away. And there are moments where I'll be walking down a street and I'm like, oh my God. I haven't walked down this street since I got into a fight with my ex over blah, blah, blah. And um, and <laughs> I, I cheated on him or he cheated on me and we never resolved that issue. And it's like, and, and I, it, and I'm, I love how I'm describing all of this. And that's literally the story of one of my housemates. <laughs> it's like, I live with one of my exes now. And I used to be so afraid of running into them. And now they, now they rent a room for me. So, you know, like healing can happen. <laughs> Relationships can move on. But I get that. I think that, it can. I get I that. It but it You're takes time. You. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes time because, you know, like my ex and I, I, I don't think we spoke for like 10 years. And then by the time we were like um, catching up, they don't even remember half the things that we used to fight about. So now they live with me and, and everything's fine because they, <laughs> they have a terrible memory. And even when I remind them of things, they're like, oh, that that was so that probably felt so important to us in our early 20s but now we're in our 30s and who gives a fuck right <laughs> exactly <laughs> peppermint um congratulations on just what i mean like you are just amazing pep broadway television um you're just effortlessly captivating you also co-host an amazon prime talk show translation with your sisters kylie sunique love carmen carrera and jiggly caliente um 
You also just uh, did four songs in... You performed four tracks for Alaska's um, Drag the Musical as the sultry Savannah St. James. You've constantly got so many things on your plate. You are just such a wonderful voice for our community, for our generation. You've got so many stories to share. Um, you're friends with some of the most amazing people. Laverne Cox is all, you You two are <laughs> always kikiing together. You and Caswell. Do you know... Um, 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 my friend Dante um, was just telling me uh, he was working your anniversary party with Caswell because he used to um, help y'all work at your party with Caswell back in the day and y'all had an anniversary party. I couldn't go because I was working, but Dante was telling me all about yeah, it just, afterwards. Just last week. <laughs> yeah, just last week. <laughs> it was so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> You have just lived an amazing life, and I have just so much love and respect for you. And I know there's still so much on the way um, for and from Peppermint. So everyone listening, if you don't already follow Peppermint, please go follow her. Is it just at, at Peppermint? Do you keep it simple? <laughs> 247. Mm-hmm. Peppermint at 247. Peppermint. 24-7. I get it. <laughs> and everyone should be following you. Everyone who can go see your tour should go see your tour. Pep, I have some compulsory questions I ask every guest at the end of the episode. Okay. Are you ready for them? I'm ready. Hit me, honey. <laughs> First question. Who is your celebrity crush today? Oh, Jason Momoa. Hands down. I love him. I would do anything. And I mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> do you want him in full Aquaman gear? Or what's your preferred Jason Momoa? <laughs> I I think... Uh, yeah, I think I like the Aquaman version of him more than the Game of Thrones version, but I'll take whatever I can get because the clothes are going to come off very quickly. <laughs> um, next question is, are you spiritual? I do think I am spiritual, yes. I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. Heard, agreed, Copy, paste. I love it. <laughs> and final question. What is your go-to karaoke song? Uh, okay. That that definitely changes based on my mood. But right now, I would say if we had a karaoke machine, I would probably play um, Creep by Radiohead. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um Peppermint, you are just such an amazing person to know. I feel so lucky to have gotten to know you in the past on tour and to just be in like similar hemispheres together. And I am not kidding. We watched that video of you and Bob <laughs> sending each other. Like, it's a daily occurrence. I'm not even joking. There are certain videos that are daily. Uh, it's Patti LaBelle, Where Are My Backup Singers? It's you and Where Bob. Are my backup singers? 
<laughs> it's you and Bob. <laughs> I'm trying to think of another daily video, but those two are mainstays in this house. Um, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's Janice Dickinson on Holland's Next Top Model or Sweden's. I don't even remember. Denmark, Next Top Model of Denmark. Have you seen that? I love Janice. I have. What is she doing? <laughs> She's there to like coach the models, but she ends up getting right. drunk and yelling at them. <laughs> of course. She never had a nice thing to say, even on the American version of Top yeah. Model. <laughs> and, then, um, and then she falls down the stairs, but it's like... Um, she's totally okay. I'm not trying to laugh at anyone's pain, but okay, when yes, she, yes, when yes. she's, when she's like trying to coach the model, she's like trying to be inspirational. She's saying, you you could do anything you want to do, anything you set your mind to. You got to want this. You got to breathe this. You got to eat this. You got to sleep this. Then she falls down the stairs and they all come to check on her and she goes, <laughs> do something, you stupid models. You're all so fucking Dumb, all you do is stand around and pose. And it's like her tune changes <laughs> so rapidly. Oh, honey. Um, she turned in a minute. <laughs> I love it. I got to watch it. Okay, I'm going to go watch it soon before it's, we finish. And, then, uh, and I feel okay talking about it because she does apologize the next day. She says something to the effect of, I thought I was taking a vitamin C tablet, but I accidentally took a fistful of pills instead. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, Janice D- Dickinson, ever an inspiration. <laughs> Janice. Okay, Janice. <laughs> Peppermint, I love you so much. Thank you for being my guest today. I love you. Absolutely, Jinx. You're the best. Thank you, girl. <laughs> and thank you all so much for listening to Hi, Jinx, here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Hi, Jinx, on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more. Hi, Jinx. M. Oh. M. Mom. To listen to Hi Jinx one day early and ad free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio.